I read you. Where are you? Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying. Here comes Cooper out of that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull the move? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show of record. The show that ma- show that matters. And the show, of course, that puts you on pole position for news, commentary, and opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, you are back now for episode number 46 of Rumble Strip Radio. This is the Valentino Rossi. And uh, a shout out to Josh Heron, the... Uh, Episode number 46 of the show. As always, I am your host, the Duke, and it is with pleasure that I do welcome you back to the show as I, uh, (laughs) hopefully, hold on one more time, maybe, (laughs) oh, they come in three, so maybe we'll get one more in there, so, (laughs) sorry, (sighs) yes, so episode 46 of Rumble Stripper Radio. Lots of stuff to uh, talk to you about today. Um, should be a, a pretty full show. Going to integrate a couple little new things in here. And uh, I got to say, I it's maybe my ego being pulled out, or I'm sorry, called out. Maybe, I'm sorry, let me say, it may be my ego going away with me. And I think in a week or two, we might be able to find out if this is true. And it's a hint of things to come, I'm hoping. Uh, for an interview coming, um, I'm hoping for next week's show. We'll see. Um, something to do with Turkey GP, and we're got, we'll talk a lot about that. But let's get the administrative stuff out of the way. Sorry, I've got another sneeze coming, and I got a tickle in the nose. And it actually is like sting. It's a stinging tickle, so it's an interesting sensation. Uh, so if I seemed a little distracted, that would be why. Uh, the administrative stuff, of course, the email for all feedback, positive, negative, or you just want to say hi, got, uh, I think all three of that this week, which is fine with me, uh, rumblestripradio at gmail.com, of course, the website, www.rumblestripradio.com, don't forget to, uh, head on over to dig.com and dig us, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, and I wanted to thank, oh man, I wrote down, uh, someone Hold on, did I write it down? I know, I'm almost positive I wrote down. Someone uh, gave us some more uh, feedback on the iTunes Music Store, and I would like to thank you for that. Hold on, I'm almost positive I wrote that down. That would be something I would have written down to to give a thanks for that. Um, But I don't see it on my handwritten notes, and I don't have it in my typed-up notes. So I apologize for that. uh, I'll make a note of it for next, next show, but... You know who you are, and 
thank you very much for doing that. And anyone else wants to head on over to the iTunes store and uh, give us a write-up or feedback over there, that would be that would be great as well. It actually uh, turns out that's part of the th- part of the system that ranks you. Um, in the shows is how much feedback that you have, not only just how many subscribers, but how much feedback you have. Um, at least that's what people in the know tell me. So the more people we do that, the higher we get up in the ratings. So that's cool. You can uh, subscribe to the show via iTunes on the website or over the iTunes store. Or if you do not uh, like to use iTunes, you can. Uh, there's an RSS link that you can subscribe right off the website as well. So let's see. Let's uh, jump right. Let's see. Anything else I got to do? Administrative stuff. Uh, dig us. No, sorry. Looking at my notes. Got notes. That's uh, feedback from you guys. Please stay organized. Please have some notes. Don't ramble so much. So, or too much. A little bit's good. News coming out. Um, some very interesting news coming out. Not sure if uh, Old St. Nick covered it on uh, on the U.S. or what the feed that comes to the U.S. on speed uh, or if you've seen some of the other stuff uh, floating out there. But this may have been the last year for MotoGP uh, at the Istanbul circuit. And if so, well, we got uh, the last two years and maybe even the first year there, some of the best racing in MotoGP. It's a great track, great layout, um, as they call the... Uh, the Mickey Mouse stuff at the end, which the Formula One stuff tends to provide, uh, provide some drama. Certainly did in all three classes this, this year. And uh, I will be sad to see that race go. I, apparently uh, the attendance is, was up a little bit. Um, although I guess the promoters need to be flogged a little bit over there as the, according to Toby Moody, the promotional posters... Uh, that they had up around town show for this race showed Bayless on a two-year-old superbike. That makes all the sense in the world. Bernie uh, Bernie Ecclestone has taken over the track, held some press conference, and Bernie doesn't speak unless he has an agenda. Says he really, 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 really likes motorcycles and wants them back. But we'll see. And if he really, 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 really liked motorcycles. Why is he charging these guys five grand a rider to test the next day? I don't know. Well, Bernie doesn't do anything doesn't do anything without a purpose. Bernie doesn't open his mouth unless he knows that there's money coming into his back pocket too. But I guess that's why the guy's worth a couple billion dollars now, right? So, other interesting news floating around that I saw this week was that 2008 may be the last year for two strokes. In, uh, in MotoGP, there was a rumor that 2009 would see, or 2008 would be the end of 250s and then maybe out to 2010 or 2012 for the 125s. Um, but the news that I saw this week, or last week actually, had uh, just a, a clean cutoff in 2008 with 2009 uh, having all three classes as four strokes. Now, what was. Uh, what was put out there is that the 125s would be set as a single-cylinder 200cc four-stroke class, and the 250s would be set as a twin-cylinder class uh, at 400ccs. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out this math. If MotoGP is 800ccs, uh, a quarter of that is 200ccs and a single-cylinder. Great, there's your 125. Uh, half of half of four cylinders is two, and half of four hundred is 
I'm sorry, half of 800 is 4. There's your 250 class. Presents some interesting dilemmas out there for some of the other manufacturers that are currently racing in in 125 and 250. Now, for Honda, not such a big deal. Um, for Aprilia, not exactly sure how they're going to handle that, whether they will take the... Uh, take some sort of evolution of what they've been doing with the SVX slash RVX 450 and 550 uh, to tweak that for MotoGP somehow uh, or use a basic design. Don't know what they're going to do. KTM, who knows what they're going to do. Um, of course, their four-stroke motor was was so good. You know, they can use that. Um, you know, and then, of course, you have uh, Derby, Jalera, which are all Piaggio, which is part of Aprilia, so you got to wonder how that all comes together. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. On the other side, um, if this falls through, theoretically, you could see Ducati, uh, who's never been in those classes, in. Um, Yamaha come back in to, uh, to 125 and 250. They haven't been around in years. Uh, Kawasaki, it's been decades, I think, since they ran a 250 program. Don't know if they ever ran 125. Um, and, uh, Suzuki, it's been forever since we've seen, um, uh, them running in the, in the lower classes. I think the last one was when, uh, John Kaczynski was blowing up their 250s on the track after a race. So could be, could be a good thing in the sense it gets more manufacturers involved, a uh, bad thing in just that the costs for those classes, much like MotoGP, are going to all, all of a sudden triple. You can run a a nice one two five and two fifty like uh, combined. You could have a you could be like Aspar have one two fifty and uh, one twenty five two fifty team. Other other teams have similar situations, and it doesn't take ten million dollars to run that program. Um, you may take five to run that, but you've got somewhere between four and six bikes on the track. That's not a bad gig, um, and that's for for sponsors. That's a very palatable number, especially for the fact that you have um, seventeen, eighteen races with an average attendance of a hundred, hundred, hundred thousand people, and three hundred forty million people a week watching it on TV. That's you know those are some good numbers, um, and something that's very doable. Now, if you double or triple that, it takes on a whole new dynamic as far as getting sponsorship um, and being able to fund that. Uh, so I'm wondering how that's going to, how that's going to shake out. And are we going to see teams go away? You know, is Aprilia going to be involved anymore? It just, I don't know. I've got, I got a lot of mixed feelings on that. Um, but those of you who've been with the show for a long time know that I'm a, a two stroke lover at heart. By the way, thank you for those of you back. Um, to listening to the show and those of you who are new to the show, um, welcome to you as well. Sorry, I should have said that at the beginning. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of interesting things going on there. So, uh, what else? Uh, MotoGP-wise, a um, lot of noise that after Jerez, uh, that Kawasaki was very, very upset with, with Olivier Jacques, and he was very close to getting sacked. So the question was, how close was that? I, I don't know. The problem is, is then who fills in because their test rider is down. He's uh, he's been injured, and I'm not sure who they'd call up to be the second rider on that team. You know, would they bring um, one of the one of the superbike guys up? I don't know. Um, 
as far as uh, BSB, some Kawasaki and BSB, who know, you know, I don't know what that situation is. Can't see them bringing anyone from the AMA in. They got someone in Japan in mind, other than their injured test right. Very interesting. And circumstances may have gotten Olivier a few more, uh, few more races there because of that. Now there obviously were some things that happened here this weekend at Turkey that <laughs> caused some interesting things. But his his performance, at least up to what happened on lap one and turn eleven. Much better weekend, but we'll get to that shortly. On the AMA side of things, uh, Steve Rapp was in the Orange County newspaper this week as they uh, previewed the AMA Superbikes at Fontucky this weekend. So that was uh, very cool. A short little write-up. Certainly glossed over a lot of things in, uh, in Steve's career, but hit a few of the highlights. And obviously good to see uh, Steve getting some recognition and... Um, Obviously, good to see the uh, the AMA getting some some pub. There was also a couple interesting things on uh, RoadRacingWorld.com. One was uh, Chris Ulrich was getting giving uh, two up rides at uh, at Fontucky for the media. This must have been well. Today is Thursday, so this would have been yesterday, Wednesday. Apparently, I mean, a lot of good reviews for that. From uh, all the different people, you know, a lot of media who've never been on a bike or don't even follow it. They're like, wow, it was incredible. It was, you know, like a roller coaster, but so much better. The interesting uh, comment was at the very end where it said that when Ulrich took uh, Kevin Schwantz for a ride on the bike two up, that those that Chris riding two up with Kevin turned a faster lap time than any other journalist there for the uh, GSXR 1000 intro there at, at Fontucky. Um, the, him two up was fat. He two up was faster than any other journalist just writing by themselves. So I found that quite interesting. It's pretty cute. Um, also over at uh, roadracingworld.com, there's a very, very funny little short column by, uh, uh, Papa TM or Theum about, uh, squids. And I would encourage you to, to go over there and read that. I will put a link in the show notes to that. And uh, won't won't read it out for you. I'll let you read it. It's just it's just very 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 funny. And those of you who um, over on the Weira board who who know Papa is <laughs> very much in line with with him. And um, anyways, it was, just, it was just good to see him uh, with something else. So that uh, that's pretty much the news. Um, there were some other things in there, but nothing. A few other things we're going to cover. Um, World Superbike related as we talk about Assen getting ready to go, um, but that'll be towards the towards the end of the show. I do want to make some uh, a couple comments or a rebuttal to uh, a post over at uh, with, of uh, Johnny Hall over at Live Fast Racing. He put up a uh, a blog post the other day talking about Ducati and how they've sort of put down an ultimatum to World Superbike, saying unless you change the rules, we're uh, we're out of here. And the the gist of his uh, the gist of the the column was um, Ducati shouldn't have special rules, or if they don't have special rules, why you know why does Ducati need special rules just because they want to run a twin? You know, why just have them homologate the uh, the Desmo Sedici run a thousand cc V four and call it a day? There are a couple of things wrong with that, 
premise, and I'm not going to have quite all the facts on this one handy um, because I didn't have the time to really dig through the the technical rules and some of the things that were proposed in the past. But this is one of those things that's been debated about for a while since it started coming up about six, eight months ago. Um, About the Desmo Sedici, they made a couple hundred of them, and that was it. Um, You know, even if they were to try and make 2,000 of them, which is, I believe, is what they'd have to produce um, to homologate it, even if you figure out there's some uh, some cost savings in producing uh, a larger number of of bikes, it's still going to be, I mean, it was 65,000 as it was, so let's just say that it's 50,000 as a more of a mass production bike so that you can homologate it. How many... I, all right, there are enough people out there who who's you know who would spend the money, but would you be able to sell the two thousand that you'd need to homologate it? Or let's just say it's a thousand. It based on Ducati's production, maybe they don't have to produce two thousand, but it's probably at least a thousand that they have to produce. That's a lot of fifty thousand dollar motorcycles that you have to sell. Um, number two, Ducati has stated from day one that their street bikes that they want to race, the street bike that they want to race is going to be a V-twin because that's their heritage. Now, anyone who thinks that the rules aren't set right now for Ducati to have advantage, even when everyone's at 1,000 cc's, hasn't really dug into the rules that much. Ducati does get special rules right now as they run the the 999 and has even when, you know the 998. Uh, ever since everything went to 1,000 cc's, Ducati has been able to run... Um, special cranks, special fuel injection, uh, and vary their throttle bodies. Those are those are the three three of the bigger um, uh, things that they get to do that let them be you know competitive and and be able to race as they are. And and by the way, what were those results when you know once Bayless wasn't around and didn't? Well, okay, I take that back because South had a great race at at Valencia, as we said. But still, he's on. Uh, uh, okay, that, I'm going to kill my own argument with that. But uh, essentially, uh, the Ducatis do have special rules for them right now, even at 1,000 cc's. The problem is, and why they want the extra 200 cc's, is that they stress the motor so hard that the engine cases are literally good for that race weekend, and that's it. And then they have to be tossed, essentially. So that gets very, very expensive, and that's why you don't really see... Uh, too many privateer teams are running it. Basically, Zaus, and that's it. It used to be there used to, uh, there were quite a few Ducati um, privateers running around there, but but not so much anymore. It's just it's just way too expensive. Now, what Ducati have said is, if you give us the extra two hundred CCs, we will abide by the rules for everyone else. In that, um, everyone else has to run one set of throttle bodies all season. Ducati changes them, can change them for the racetrack every weekend. Um, fuel injection, they can do some things different with their fuel injection that no one else can. They'll go by that. Um, they will. They literally said, we will abide by the same engine rules that everyone else does if you give us the 200 cc's. We don't want any other special things. We just want the 200 cc's. And by doing that, they feel they'll be able to drastically cut their costs for racing because they don't have to throw away a set of engine cases every week. Like the uh, inline four boys, 
they can, um, you know, they could probably go half a season on one set of cases. That's, that's huge. That's a huge, huge difference in cost. And then that also gets some more privateers in there. Remember, Ducati's racing budget comes from its sponsorship through from from Xerox and everyone else and uh, that's involved there, Alfa Romeo and everyone else that goes there. They don't have the deep pockets of um, of the big four Japanese guys, so uh, they've got to figure a way to cut costs or keep costs under control to still to still be competitive. On top of that, if they can get some privateers racing, that gives them a, another revenue stream to help support all the other stuff. So I'm just – John makes some uh, some good points in his column. I'm just saying that there are some not-so-obvious things that are stated in there that, that you need to think about. So, And the other thing I've said before and that I've seen rumors of is, is that if you can get uh, a 1,200cc V-twin – that all of a sudden many more people uh, could become involved in World Superbike being uh, a KTM, a BMW, theoretically a Moto Guzzi. Um, who knows, Aprilia may run two different bikes. They may run a 1200 uh, twin and plus the 1000cc uh, V4 that will be debuting for uh, for 08, which I'm very excited about. Unfortunately, it's going to be a $27,000 street bike, and that is way, way out of my league is, you know, I can't afford a seven thousand dollars street bike, let alone a twenty seven thousand dollars street bike. So, okay. So, anyways, that uh, that is that. But I do. I'll put a link in there over to um, to Live Fast Racing. It's over. If you head over to the main page, we already have a link up for there. But I'll put another one up in uh, in the show notes as well. So, before we uh, go start talking about MotoGP in Turkey, let's hear from uh, one of the cats over in the MPG. Listen up, everyone. If you ride a sport bike and you're not listening to the Knee Dragon podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon podcast is motorcycle talk that doesn't suck. We cover all things sport bike related, from superbike and MotoGP racing to the newest street sport bikes, from riding technique to the latest technology. If it affects our sport, it's in the show. So check it out. www.kneedragon.net so the as we said, MotoGP may have uh, made their last trip to to the Istanbul circuit in Turkey, and um, will be somewhat of a tragedy if if that's the case. It's like we said, great great track, seems to be fantastic facilities there, and always producing some some outstanding racing. One of the interesting things as you walk through. As you watched practice through uh, through free practice and even some even the warm up on uh, on Sunday morning, different than qualifying was just how dominant all the Bridgestone riders were. Now, if you look at uh, qualifying for the race, you'll you'll see something very very different. But as far as um, practice times, very very dominated uh, by the Bridgestone riders. In fact, I'm just looking at uh, free practice here. And I believe that what I have here are the combined free practice times. So first, second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and tenth were all on Bridgestones. Um, 
the Michelins, as it turns out, uh, didn't have such a such a good weekend. They, um, well, flat out struggling. Exactly. So I haven't thrown a drop in the show in a while. I had to get that one in. So uh, other people weren't so diplomatic in you know saying that Michelin basically got their ass handed to them. Um, I was going to be nice and just say that they were struggling. Anyways. But uh, pretty much the class of the weekend in uh, in all, whether it was Sunday morning warm-up or through through all the practice sessions, was Casey Stoner. He was just on a mission. Obviously, he's done very well there in um, in 250. Won in 250. Did he win there in 250? No. Yeah. Uh, was on the podium last year. So it, he says it's not his favorite track, but seems to do very well there. When it came to qualifying, it was it was something very different. He was he was quick for a long time. I guess they got their race testing in in and sat around in the uh, in the garage and was just waiting to throw in the qualifier or a couple qualifiers. Went to go out and found everyone wanted to follow him around the track, seeing as how he'd been the fastest all the time. Uh, I guess it threw him off. He didn't put in a fast lap when he wanted to or should have done it, and ended up fourth on the grid. But uh, Everyone pretty much knew that he was going to be someone to watch out for come come race time. Uh, when uh, qualifying did go down, were some surprises in that um, Michelin guys were actually basically the front row, Valentino, uh, Colin, and the Hobbit. And then you had uh, Nicky in sixth, which was a tremendous effort cons- considering that he'd spent most of the weekend, uh, if not in last place, very near last place for, for all practice time. So the fact that they made that huge of a step in qualifying was was encouraging for the team. Uh, but you had to wonder, was it simply because they, they threw in a queue, uh, a couple queues to uh, to pop in a, a quick time? Interesting uh, analysis on the Sunday morning warm-up by, by Neil Spaulding, who was sitting in with, with Toby and, and Julian. They were really talking about the technical side of what's going on with the Honda. And his, what he was saying is that the Honda has no no front end feel, and that that that's what's causing the problem, which we've heard from from all the riders pretty much. Uh, but he says it either comes from they have two extremes. There's either so much weight on the front end that it doesn't want to turn, or there's not enough weight on the front end and it doesn't want to turn. And uh, having had a motorcycle where there really was you know set up at one point where there wasn't enough. Wait on the front end. I know what that's. Not only does it not want to turn, but there's no feel at that either. So they can't seem to strike a balance. There's either way too much or nowhere near enough, and that's part of what's causing um, all the problems that they've had. And they're probably going to need an evolution of the chassis here very, very soon. Now, supposedly they've made some adjustments for the for the swing arm and how the rear shock mounts. Uh, hoping to find find a balance in the chassis where they can, you know, either move around the motor to to, to suit it or how they have the forks set up, you know, something as basic as that, um, uh, to 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 get that balance right. But we'll we'll see. May have made some steps in, um, you know, for for uh, for Istanbul. We'll see what happens in in Turkey. The uh, the other thing he mentioned is is in years past, where they had a um, near endless supply of tires, they could work on a set of tires that would 
you know, that could cover up an issue. We, we saw that last year with Yamaha, uh, where they had chassis problems early, and at times they could cover up the problem with a, with an ultra-soft tire, where they could just go fast and, and figure, find some feel just through the tire. Uh, this year, with a restriction on tires, they can't can't do that. And that's that's part of what's hurting Honda this year is you can't cover up the handling issue uh, with the softer tires. But when you throw the cues on, which are you know a very soft tire, uh, that's it, it. Sort of it sort of helps out a lot. So uh, that's your early on. You were wondering why you know if the qualifying by Nikki was it going to be able to be a sustainable sustainable pace during the race, or or was it something that was simply. Um, um, you know, a cover up from, from a Q tire. So, um, and as we found out, you know, uh, may have made some progress. I still am going to maintain my, my, uh, my theory, especially based on race results again this week. Everyone has talked about, or, or the basic premise has been, well, the 800s are a smaller bike, um, less horsepower, you're going to have to ride it like a 250. You're going to have to learn a 250 style. But as we've seen once again this this weekend, uh, Tony Elias, not anything really resembling a 250 style, maybe a hybrid 250 style just because you see him really lean off the bike and, and crank it over at times. But he's backing it in and riding that thing like an old school two-stroke bike or, you know, the first years of the 990s. It's He's, he's not making any pretension of... Uh, riding it like a like a 250, and I think that's why he's had the success he's had so far this year, uh, and why he can get around the handling problems. He's just like front end doesn't you know I can't get any feeling out of the front end. It doesn't want to steer. Great, I'll hang out the back end, and I'll you know I'll I'll help it to steer with the back end, and it's working. So I don't know, maybe just me. Never been the brightest guy in the world, but. Uh, I thought about it, you know, I've said that many times before and I've seen it in practice and I'm like, one plus one looks like two. I don't know. The uh, The other other thing we've really noticed this weekend is uh, the huge step that Kawasaki has made. You look at the speed traps and they are, if not faster than, than the Yamahas, right there with the Yamahas, which is a huge, huge step for these guys. I mean, even... Um, late last year, they were having problems having a motor last on the dyno. Um, you know, the very first test, they didn't even, uh, at, uh, after the season, when they, everyone was rolling out their, their 800s, they were still running 990 motors, you know, I mean, just trying to get laps on, on, on stuff. So the fact that they've made this big of a step this quickly, where they're, reasonably competitive you know they're they're in them they're beginning to be in the mix um that's huge uh on kawasaki's point so props to them from going from you know were they going to have a bike that was going to make it on track and last to doing not so bad at least you know very early in the season so far So we um, we get to the race. I'm sorry, qualify. Let's just run through uh, qualifying. Not that you don't know this already, but and we talked about front row of Rossi, Edwards, Pedroza. Row two, Stoner, Cap, Rossi, and Hayden. Uh, row three was uh, Hopkins, Depunier, Vermeulen. Row four, um, not not doing a good job qualifying. Uh, Elias, uh, Jacques, Nakano, and then uh, Baros, Melandri, Tamada, Cheka, Hoffman, 
Kenny Roberts, boy, did they just have a a weekend to forget. And then uh, Sylvain Gentoli uh, brought up the rear. Come come uh, come race time, you know, the start is uh, Rossi gets away from pole, and uh, Edwards is riding shotgun at least through the first half of uh, of the first lap. And I think Rossi knew that if he wanted a chance to win, he needed to get out front and build a lead quickly to hold off Stoner. And that was uh, illustrated by the fact that when they went on to the to the back straight, he ran. He was pushing so hard uh, with full tank that uh, that he ran wide in in the kink. That can't really, you know, no. The the eight hundreds had to just back off a touch there, um, and I think Rossi literally tried to run it flat out through that kink and ran wide, ran off the track, uh, slid back into fifth or sixth place, I believe. And that basically handed the lead to Stoner. And, you know, it's pretty much the last anyone saw of Casey. Now, as we as we get into turn 11, before we get to as a, uh, they refer to the Mickey Mouse section of the track, the track or the Michael Mouse section of the track, uh, or the Formula One section of the track, uh, was a big, uh, big cluster coming in there of, of riders all stacked up in there. Uh, Olivier Jacques came in hot and and hard on the brakes, very, 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 very tight in there. And at first, it looked like he just went in so fast that he lost the front and then caused caused the melee that happened there. But upon further analysis, not just by me, but by a lot of other people watching that thing frame by frame... Olivier's front end might have been a little loose there, but had I don't we don't know if he actually had lo- lost it yet. But it appears that um, uh, one Bilbo Baggins came in there and tagged his back wheel and certainly helped him along, um, and that's sort of what set everything off. So you had you had uh, Jacques um, Jacques Pedrosa, uh, and then taking out Colin Edwards. And also Chris Vermeulen. Now Vermeulen caught a break in that his bike was basically laying right on top of the Hobbits. He was able to to pull his bike off and get going again, and was turning fastest laps of the race with like two laps to go. So props to Chris um, on not giving up. Um, something you you don't see from a lot of the European ride. They crash and the bike could probably they could probably pick up the bike and go again, but they just sort of. Um, look at the bike, throw up their hands, and go, oh, and then walk away. Uh, as we saw last year from Valentino Rossi, uh, if you pick up the bike and run, even if you get a couple points, that could be very, very critical come year-end time. So, uh, the other person who uh, who caught a bad break on that whole deal was uh, Sylvain Gintoli. Uh, took the outside line, ended up way out in there, and lost something like 22 seconds in that deal. Uh, and then he ended up finishing in the in the points, and had he not, um, if you look at the lap times and, and where everyone finished at the end of the race, had it had he not lost at 20 seconds, he would have been up in that battle ninth, 10th position area, 10th, 10th, 11th place, somewhere in there. I, 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 gotta, I don't know if I have the full race time here. Hold on. So Gintoli was 30 seconds. We go 19 seconds back. 
Okay, so he would have been somewhere between tenth uh, and eleventh place, just if you t if you eliminate that twenty second loss. So that's that's pretty good for uh, for Gintoli. He's showing some promise, and Dunlop's maybe coming around a little bit. So we'll see uh, how that how that turns out. So once uh, once those guys were were out, the uh, the race was on, and uh, you know basically no one saw Stoner the rest of the way. So just every every lap seemed to be going quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and Fastest lap, fastest lap, uh, and it pretty much just just ran away with that at that point. Now, one of the uh, Rossi came back from from running off the track, got back up into second place, and the man who was coming uh, hard was Tony Elias. And um, well, we had another Rossi versus Elias battle going on, which we're going to take a, a step out and talk about here for for a little bit here. Um. Elias was definitely faster than Rossi, even mid-race, or when they were, what was it, about lap 10 or so. And he came, I mean, literally, he came, got a better drive on the back straight, outbraked, outbraked Rossi. Uh, okay, he, he had backed it in a little bit, maybe got it a little hot. They touched fairings. Hey, what's a little, you know, swapping fairings? It's not like Rossi's never traded paint going into a corner before, right? Hmm? Um... You know, he got around, and then once he got around Rossi, he was he was pretty much gone. Uh, he left Rossi for dead. Uh, he was off chasing Stoner, made some progress, but certainly not enough. And I think at some point he, he even said in a post-race conference, like, I wasn't closing on him, so I looked, you know, checked the board, see what's happening behind me. I had a nice distance there. I figured, well, second place. Let's let's bring it home in second place. So props to, props to Tony Elias for, you know, riding hard, and then at the end, riding smart, not getting too carried away. Uh, of course, Rossi wasn't real happy with that, with uh, Elias's moves and his style, and, and pretty much called him out, called him a dangerous rider after the race. Now, I'm sure the Rossi apologists are are all over this, and I'm not I'm not a Rossi hater, but I'm not a Rossi apologist. I do like him. I think he is maybe one of the one of the, if not the greatest motorcycle rider ever. Um, however, we are getting into a pot and kettle situation here. Um, not just with not just with Jeeber now, but with a few other people through the years. Rossi has been known to muscle his way through to make a point and and gain a position. Well, that's pretty much what Tony Elias did. I'm faster. I'm going to get around you. And um, if you don't like it, oh well, too bad. And this speaks to a larger issue, and, and Toby and Julian touched a little bit on this, at least from Stoner's standpoint. Um, and I'm going to say from from several other riders' standpoints, I'm seeing this now too, especially with this next generation of riders. The older generation, Rossi could get into these guys' heads and, and, and play games and psych them out. The new breed, I don't think, is really intimidated by him. Uh, Elias certainly is not. Stoner's not. I mean, he put up with. Granted, he may have had the faster bike at uh, at Cutter, but certainly Rossi pressured him pretty hard at other, you know, the uh, other parts of the track, especially in uh, um, in T four at uh, at Cutter. He was pushing uh, Stoner hard, and Stoner's just like, okay, you're back there. So what? No big deal. I can ride hard enough through here to keep you in back. Then when we get on the straight, forget about it. I'll see you later. You know, 
And that's going to pose some very interesting problems for Valentino Rossi. And we're going to see a little bit more of that care of his character come out here. I think this year uh, because he, uh, can't intimidate people because that's that persona is gone that he is unbeatable you know what's what's going to happen here he was you always play cool cocky i'm valentino rossi i can i can beat anyone well because i'm valentino rossi well may not be the case anymore um i don't know if you can thank nikki hayden for that last year of you know taking away the title like hey he's not unbeatable you know when pushed, he will make mistakes. And maybe that was just what everyone else needed to see. I, I don't know. Um, but it's but like I said, that, that lack of intimidation now um, is going to cause him – may ca- I say is going to cause – may cause him problems or people aren't going to just say, you know, look on their board. Oh, 46 is behind me. You know, I got to – you know, I'm, I'm worried. It's going to be, oh, 46 is behind me. Okay. Need to push a little harder, but 46 is behind me. We'll keep him there. Um, you know, 46 is in front of me. Great. I know I can try track him down. Tony Elias, no problem. Ready to go. Casey Stoner, certainly. Um, Nikki Hayden, not intimidated by Rossi either. You know, Rossi tried to play tried to play his uh, reindeer games with Nick in the last couple of years, and it didn't work because Nick had seen it before when he was at the AMA with Maladin. He he had the training before he got there how to deal with that. So, from one of the masters, just interesting. Now, as we um, as we made it through the race, first second place, runaway race, didn't get to see a whole lot of those guys, and no problem. I mean, it's too bad because they had great ra- those guys had some great races, but really the battle for third was phenomenal. I mean, this you know was the was this year's ra- MotoGP race as good as last year's? Maybe not for the win. But I tell you what, that third through seventh, eighth place battle was riveting. I remember the first time I watched the the, the race, and this started, they you know really started to come together and and swap positions here. It was, I don't know, sixteen laps to go, something like that. And literally, with you know two laps to go, I'm like, holy crap, where'd the race go? I mean, you just got so riveted by this that the race just flew by. And it was it was great. I mean, it's just what you love to see. It's one of those things where another great example of you want to show people what motorcycle racing is, you know, especially like F one people. There were there were more passes in those ten laps between those guys than there were probably in the last five seasons of Formula One. Okay, that's yeah. So we ended up with. Um, you know, you had uh, Caparossi, who went back and forth. Um, it, it finished off your race results. Stoner, uh, Elias Caparossi, uh, Barros, Melandri, Hopkins, Hayden, Depunye, Hoffman, Valentino Rossi in 10th. Christopher Mullen comes all the way back to finish 11th. Carlos Checa, um, 12th. Uh, Nakano in 13th. Tamata, 14th. Gintoli, 15th. Uh, Kenny Roberts, 16th, and almost being lapped. So, well, I guess not. He was a minute and nine seconds down, so not quite a lap, but two-thirds of a lap. But that battle uh, from Caparossi through Depunier, and Hayden for sure, Depunier, I think Depunier was in the back there. 
um, was was just phenomenal. I mean, Alex Barros came, as he said, if he would have had another 50 meters, uh, he would have been on the podium. Uh, Melandry, who I had picked to win the race and looked lost most of the weekend, ended up having a very solid race. Uh, the finished fifth, Hopkins in sixth. I mean, Hopkins looked like he was going to be on the podium uh, at different parts of the race. He'd go from third to seventh and back. Um, and Nick got, got, um, uh, peaked there at the last, but he was up running in, you know, fifth and sixth spot. And even though Nick finished seventh, it was, it wasn't like it was way back seventh. It was a competitive seventh spot. I mean, there was, uh, second and a half, two seconds between third and seventh place. So he was, but he was in that mix. So he's getting, he's getting close there and he's, you know, putting it out there. So for everyone worried about Nick Hopkins, really, really good to see him. You know, another thing with, uh, with, uh, Vermeulen. So you cut, if you cut the, let's say that he lost probably 20 seconds as well, uh, in that crash that puts Vermeulen, you know, theoretically six seconds back. Basically he would have been in that, in that fur ball for, for the last podium spot too. So you would have had two Suzuki's up there as well. Um, Huge props for the weekend have to go to the Dantine squad. I mean, of course, we talked about Alex Barros almost, you know, just getting pipped there at the line. And then uh, Hoffman finishing in ninth position. He's only 16 seconds back. So that's that's huge for those guys. And that's really what, uh, in preseason testing, they showed they could be competitive. And we're seeing that. Now, we're about ready to go to China with two huge, huge, huge long straights. I would not be surprised to see three Ducatis on the podium. And, you know, the fourth one being fourth to sixth position. That would not come as a bit of a surprise to me. So it could be interesting. Uh, Valentino Rossi, obviously, with some huge problems at the end of the race. Uh, apparently some major tire issues. There's been some pictures floating around from from onboard, you know, onboard camera shots that showed the back tire, the the right side of the rubber being pretty pretty frayed. Um, well, onboard, and then from you know shots from from trackside. Now, was that the issue? You know, was it was it a tire issue causing him problems? Well, it had to be part of it because uh, he certainly seemed to have plenty of power, and once he was straight up and down, able to get it, you know get the bike going, getting it stopped, you know, at different points in time of the track seemed to have issues. Uh, certainly getting on the gas, he had some problems. Um, but was that the whole issue? That's, you know, it's a little hard to say, uh, but he certainly had a, a race to forget. One of the one of the other points I want to make, I, I actually didn't write this down in my notes, but it's, uh, sort of something that's been circulating in my head and something I want to talk to if I get the guest I'm hoping to get for next week's show is we've been somewhat, I don't want to use the word spoiled, but kind of it's it just been beaten into that whoever wins the championship is going is going to be the dominant person in the championship um, for the last, I don't know, 12, 12 years, 15, almost 15 years. Let's go back. Well, certainly back um, once Rainey and Schwantz got since the mid '90s. So for at least ten years, um, whoever won the championship tended to be the dominant rider because we went from basically we went from Dewan to uh, to Rossi as the people you know a few people in between. Obviously, uh, 
uh, Crevier and uh, Roberts Jr. winning a championship and, you know, in between there. But those guys pretty much dominated the championship and tended to win most of the races. What we forget is that, you know, in the, in the non-Duin Rossi years, uh, and certainly even back to the, to the glory, glory days of, uh, of the 500cc championship, um, didn't matter if it was, you know, back when, when Eddie Lawson won four championships and there, Freddie Spencer, Kenny Roberts Jr., or Kenny Roberts Sr., uh, Wayne Rainey, Wayne Gardner, that whole, that whole era, most of the guys didn't win eight and nine races. They won four or five races, and it wasn't uncommon for these guys to finish off the podium. I mean, not with frequency, but they certainly were some sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh places in there too. So we actually have a a, a larger group now that's competitive. So the fact that Rossi finished tenth, sure, that's that's certainly a shock. Uh, it's certainly very surprising, but. Not unheard of, and like I said, goes back to the day you know more than the two five hundred cc two stroke days where the person who won the championship you had to have some consistency. You certainly won the races, but we didn't have the domination, and I think that's part of the reason why we you know there was a, there was a great group of riders and no one dominated. So that thing that's part of why we call call that some of the, some of the glory days, or some of the glory years uh, of. Um, of MotoGP or of the 500cc championship in there. So just, just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, but that, like I said, that race from, for third through seventh spot, that was just a phenomenal race. I can go back and watch that again. Now, I, as I said at the opening of the show, there was, I'm letting a little bit of my ego go away with me here. Uh, but there was a comment made in the race by, by Toby Moody that, uh, that I wanted to come back to, but, uh, on a comment that I made in show 37. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play my comment from, about Casey Stoner and show 37. Um, and then right after that, I've got uh, Toby's comment in there. And I don't know. I don't know if he's talking about me because I didn't really see anyone else say these things about Casey getting married. Um, but who knows? Uh, well, we'll see. So uh, let me uh, let me run the audio here and, um, and, we'll, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up uh, Turkey. Casey Stoner debuted his new bride up there. And... Um, I don't know. I, it's funny. I was thinking of this, and if you're 21 years old, you're making I don't know two, three mil a year. You're not a bad looking kid. Kind of got the world by the balls. Would would you go out and marry the first piece of ass you got? I don't know. I'm sure that this little 18 year old that he married is is quite the. You know, quite the hot little little chicky, and I'm sure she's very, very nice. And I don't know that I've ever met any Australian girl that wasn't attractive and nice. I'm sure there's one or two out there. Just, they seem to have a mass market of them over there. But, but that being said, dude, don't be so quick to tie yourself down. Enjoy life. But, eh, you know, all the best to you, son. Just should have waited a little while and maybe enjoyed the fruits of life a little more. Say lovey. There's no 
nobody in the same shot as Casey Stoner. I've got to say it on air, we got this kid wrong at the end of last year. He is a different guy. Personally, one of the reasons he's a different guy over the winter period, got married, people's giving him, people giving him a bit of shit. Oh, you're too young to get married. He's happy in his life. He's happy with his wife, Adriana. And he's a different rider. And he's got his arm around, they've got his, their arm around him at Chikati. I think it's that Chikati family thing, Toby. I think that is the crux of it. So, oops. Oops, sorry about that. You get a little preview of the outro music today. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Because the first time when I when I was watching the race and I heard that, I'm going like, Toby, you, you talking to me on that one? So, uh, probably deserves it anyways. Okay, uh, so we talked a lot about MotoGP, obviously. Spent a lot of time on that, I, and I got a lot of other stuff to get to. So, let's just say that um, 125 and 250 races, also some some great battles in, in the 125 and 250 race. Very entertaining battles. Um, I saw that uh, Jorge brought back the, the lollipop, even though he didn't win, so... Eh. I guess I, maybe it didn't disappear. I just didn't see it. So uh, we'll see with that. But I would encourage you to go check that out. Uh, let's go through points real quickly. So we talked about race results for MotoGP. Your rider standing. Casey Stoner now back on top by 10 points. Uh, 61 to 51 for Valentino. Uh, and then a pretty big step down to Pedrosa at 36. Elias with 35. Melandri at 30. Nikki with 26. Colin also with 26. Barros with 25, Hopkins with 23, uh, Vermeulen 21, Caparossi with 20. That's your top 11. And also, it's good to see uh, my pick to win the championship this year, Caparossi, seems to have his head back on now that his, uh, his child has been born and looks good. And like I said, come Shanghai next week. Oh, hold on. Your uh, team standings, the uh, Ducati Marlboro team with 81, uh, Fiat Yamaha with 77, uh, Grassini, Honda Grassini 65, Repsol with 62, uh, Rizla Suzuki 44, Premac with 37, uh, Kawasaki 15, the Konica Minolta 15 as well, uh, LCR Honda with 14, Tectois with 7, and Roberts with 3, uh, Manufacturers Standings Ducati 61, uh, Honda 56, Yamaha 51, and then down to Suzuki 30, Kawasaki 15, and Roberts with 3. 250 results. Like I said, very uh, very good race here. Uh, Davizioso on the Honda one, uh, nipping uh, Loretto uh, and uh, Alvaro Bautista. Another another great race for him. Then uh, DeAngelis, Luthi, Calio, Simone, uh, Bar- Barbara, Simoncelli, and Lai standings. Uh, Jorge on top with seventy. Davizioso fifty two. DeAngelis forty six. Bautista thirty six. Uh, Barbara twenty four. Luthi also with twenty four. Simon. In seventh was 17, tied with Takahashi. Uh, ninth is Shui Aoyama, and um, Lai is in tenth with 15. And Hiro Aoyama, another bad weekend. Dude cannot catch a break. Your one two, one, two, five results, uh, Corsi, Jean-Olive, Koyayama, um, uh, De Rosa, Tomashi, Peshik, uh, Zanetti, Smith. Um, uh, by the way, great great run from uh, from Bradley Smith and uh, had he not run out onto the uh, rumble strips there, he might have uh, nipped another spot or two there. As that was a really good dice there. Um, uh, Ioniti and, and Faubel, and I'm sorry, I don't have one, two, five points handy. So, so with that, we're going to uh, we'll call that the end of uh, 
coverage of Turkey. Let's hear from one of the MPG guys, and then we were going to talk about uh, the AMA at Barber. Calling all Canadians. Do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. So the uh, AMA was at Barber Motorsport Park, and before we get into that, let me talk about some of the rumors floating around Barber. Uh, all kinds of noise in the past week about uh, them hiring Hardcard to help them secure a World Superbike race. Uh, a lot of noise about getting a World Superbike race at Barber. First, second, third, and last. Until they change the physical layout of the track and make it either longer by inserting a straight or by taking out some of the corners and straightening the track out that way, uh, yet keeping it somewhere you know over 2.3 miles. There's no way they're going to get a world superbike race there. The tight, the 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 track is just way too tight. Um, you know they got they use pretty much use second, third, and fourth gear uh, as superbikes as it is, and that's pretty much it. So I'm just going to say there's going to be a lot of hype around it until I see something happening. It's just it's it's hype. So I'm not a hater of Barber. It's probably the nicest facility. Um, that the AMA goes to as far as complete facility, landscaping, and everything. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is I'm thinking about, I've never been to Barber, but as I'm thinking about the layout of the pit area, um, they don't have any permanent garages there either. And so that's, you know, something they'll need to do as well. Maybe not year one, but they're definitely going to need uh, permanent garages in there if they want to keep a World Superbike race there. So enough of that. Um, item two before we actually talk about the races, is I just want to say, Lee Diffie, well done. Very, very well done. Now, Lee Diffie, in case those of you who don't watch uh, have to suffer through uh, AMA coverage on uh, on speed with the usual announcers, um, if, you're, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you've heard me rail against Ralph Shaheen, and if you're on any kind of internet board, I don't know, I've seen everyone who considers Ralph Shaheen a good announcer for motorcycles, whether it be road race or whether it be motocross, because the motocross guys hate him just as much, if maybe even more than the um, than the road race people. But uh, Ralphie Boy was out doing Supercross coverage for the last race, and then he's gone this week, too, um, for another Supercross race, so we don't have to suffer through him. Uh, but they brought in uh, Lee Diffie, who does the ALMS coverage, and he might even do some of the Grand – I think he does Grand Am coverage too as well for speed. So he's already under contract, for, so them, for them to slide him in was not a big deal. But he did such a superior job in in, in doing the, the play-by-play. It was it was unbelievable. He, he made, he made uh, Fast Freddy, or as I like to call him – well, he's no longer Fat Freddy because he seemed to have lost about 40 pounds – uh, Freddie was bear- almost bearable for the weekend because Diffie covered up so well. Now he, he made, he made, uh, some errors in there. I think he called it Miller Motorsport Park rather than Barber Motorsport Park and called in the form of extreme race called, uh, uh, 
um, uh, Larry Pegram and um, and Marty Craigle teammates, even though they're not. That's fine. Whatever preparation he did, though, in in maybe the short time that he had before he knew he was going to call the race, was a or orders of magnitude better than than Ralphie Boy. So, um, my crusade for this week is I want everyone who listens to the show to email speed, to call speed, and I'm going to put a link for feedback. I don't, I couldn't find a specific email, but there's a, a feedback um, section on their website, which is at speedtv.com forward slash feedback. And I want everyone to go over there, if you haven't done so already, and send a note to speed and say, look, Lee Diffie was orders of magnitude better than Ralph Shaheen. Please have him do the rest of the year and going forward um, in calling AMA races and no more Ralph Shaheen. Please, 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 no more Ralph Shaheen. He's horrible. So you can phrase it any way you want, but the juxta uh, uh, of it, hopefully something along those lines. Maybe you'll be more eloquent than I am. But here's the thing. Um, Last year, CBS had a couple Formula One races. They had Imola and what was the other one they did that uh, Ralph and um, Derek Daly did. Well, at least they did the first one. Was he on the, was Ralphie boy on the second one? I can't remember. But anyways, regardless, the F1 people were so up in arms about how horrible Ralph was. Uh, Derek Daly, not so, you know, also not all that great either in in that F1 coverage uh, that they wrote in and speed or speed CBS said, okay, you're, you're gone. You're not doing anymore. What I'm hoping is if that we can get enough people to um, send feedback to speed that uh, that we can have the same thing happen here. That's so. That's my uh, uh, Alva Scarlet 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 Scarlet. Sorry, semi obscure reference for those of you who've read uh, a certain book. Uh, that's my uh, crusade of the week or the crusade of the moment anyways is uh, let's let's you know there's we now have a legitimate um, I'd say a legitimate shot at getting rid of Ralph Shaheen so everyone please send feedback to speed and like I said I'll put a link in the show notes where you know where you can go take 30 seconds send send a note to speed and say please get rid of Ralph Shaheen we like Lee Diffie let's have more Lee Diffie so okay End of that rant. End of that crusade. Well, not the end of that crusade, but let's just let's see. And hopefully, we'll see. Uh, we'll hear Lee again uh, doing this weekend at Fontucky. Superbike. Well, it was. You know, the race one wasn't so much, but race two certainly was. It was a Matt Maladin beatdown, flat out a Matt Maladin beatdown weekend at Barber when it came to the Superbike race. Um, on Saturday's race, you know, Spees was there for most of the race. Did he really challenge Maladin? I don't know. Not so much. Uh, I think Matt pretty much controlled that race from start to finish. You know, for the most part, from start to finish. Um, it, race two on Sunday, certainly. The interesting, Some of the interesting uh, facts out of that was uh, race one was 32 seconds faster than, than uh, 06. So look at it this way. Uh, do I have the... Finishing amount. No, I don't have. They don't have the uh, actual actual race time here 
you know, the actual total elapsed time for the race. Um, but basically, everyone else has caught up to where Suzuki was last year. The problem is, is that Suzuki has gone forward. So everyone's still got a lot of work to do. Uh, your podiums on Saturday and Sunday were the same. Uh, Maladin, Spees, and uh, Miguel Duhamel. Uh, Honda seems to be making some progress. Um, you know, are, but they're sort of stuck in the same spot they were. They look like they're making progress against the Suzukis uh, as the year comes along, but we'll see how, how well that goes. Um, on Saturday's race, a huge call out to Aaron Yates. Uh, with a fourth place uh, position on the Jordan bike. Uh, Tommy Hayden in fifth on Saturday, Jake Zemke sixth, Jamie Hacking seventh, uh, Eric Bostrom not a good day in eighth, uh, Jason DeSalvo, you always beat your teammate, in ninth, and then uh, James Ellison on the uh, Corona Honda in tenth. Uh, race two was Maladin, Spees, and Duhamel, and then Tommy in fourth, uh, Yates in fifth, but that was a pretty pretty close battle for, for most of the race. I think those guys pretty much traded back and forth. Um, once again, Bostrom beats DeSalvo, uh, hacking Roger, who's, uh, fell and fell on Friday, hit his head pretty good. So he was coming back from, from that all weekend. And then Zemke, not, uh, not so good in, uh, in 10th there. So your standings through, uh, two superbike, or I'm sorry, through, um, the second week in a superbike through, well, basically three rounds, uh, Spees on top by 10 over Malad or over, uh, Duomel 71 to 61, Maladin, uh, big recovery, sweeping that, um, scored almost maximum points because Ben got the pole point. He met Mladen only missed out on one point for the weekend, and that was the pole point. He got uh, um, 37 points in both races, 36 for the win, and one point for uh, most laps led. So he's uh, he's up at uh, 58. And then uh, Zemke with 54, Tommy Hayden 49, Aaron Yates 47, tied with DeSalvo. Uh, and then uh, Ellison with 43, Jake Holden uh, 42, and Ibaz with 33. Formula Extreme race, uh, Josh uh, Josh Hayes pretty much controlled that race from from the start, dominated that race. Um, Steve Rapp looked uh, pretty pretty good in second, but. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Gobert, which is good to see Aaron uh, back at full fitness, uh, had a very, very good ride. And I don't know, when they got what, towards the end of the race, last last lap and a half or so, last two laps, uh, as they came up into traffic with Rapp and uh, Gobert battling each other, uh, you know, usually you want to be in front through traffic, and it just seemed like uh, Rapp got balked by everybody. So, yeah. Tough break for him, so uh, Aaron Gobert actually takes second, but Steve is uh, Steve finishes third, so uh, good for him. Uh, but Josh back on top in Formula Extreme. Your uh, your points in Formula Extreme. Wrap uh, still with uh, with the lead, and then uh, Josh now in second. I think uh, what I, I think Wraps was sixty six. Uh, Josh was sixty three. Uh, then Ryan Ellerby forty seven. Michael Barnes forty five. I do want to say. Uh, Marty Craigle on the Ducati in fourth, Larry Pegram in sixth, uh, Ryan Andrews in fifth. So good for, good for those guys. Got a couple uh, Ducatis in there. Steve Crevier um, on his Super Sport, Canadian Super Sport spec, uh, finished ninth in Form Extreme. So that's pretty good. They, I'm going to get the horsepower limit wrong, but I think they're at about a buck twenty is the horsepower limit for 600s in Canada. And the thousands are at like 185 this year, I think. May, may, I've got, may have that wrong. We'll, I'll look into that in a little bit. Superstock, uh, big news there is that Aaron Yates, 
uh, won the race, and that is the very first victory for the Jordan team. In fact, it was a one-two sweep in Superstock with Yates and Holden. Now, uh, I did give it, you know, I said Yates did phenomenally well in in Superbike with the fourth and fifth spot. He won in Superstock, and remember, Yates he was racing this weekend with cracked ribs, so he's out there riding, you know, full on with cracked ribs. That's that's some testicular fortitude. I'll tell you what, because that's I'm sure it was not a comfortable comfortable weekend on that. Uh, ben Bostrom finishes in third. I think I picked Ben to uh, to win that B Boss to win the race, but yeah, you know we'll get there. Uh, ben Spees, I would say that's a disappointing fourth spot for him. Danny Eslick in fifth, so good uh, good run for him. Uh, Blake Young sixth, Jeff May seventh. MGo guys didn't not so good of a weekend for those guys between. Uh, crashes and jump starts is not so good. Uh, Chris Ulrich, 8th, Martin Cardenas, 9th, and uh, Scott Jensen, 10th. Supersport, well, of course, the big news in 600 Supersport was the huge, huge crash um, where hacking, you know, the uh, front end started sliding, the lost the back end, went down, Jeff May right behind him, and you know basically used the back tire on hacking's bike as a ramp. Some great hang time. I think the only thing missing in all that hang time was the uh, uh, was someone to hit the uh, the horn uh, playing Dixie, you know. Because I mean, he had plenty of hang time to get that whole thing in there. I think just huge crash. The fact that both those guys walked away from that thing was was incredible. Basically, the Hacking's bike saved him on that one. That that was almost Larry Schwartzbach ugly for those of you who've been. Uh, who remember that? I was I was actually at that race when that happened. That was that was eerie. Um, and then there was some there's some controversy I want to touch on on that too. But uh, once they got the restart and and both hacking and Jeff May were gone, um, you know Josh Hayes. That's his very I think that's his first 600 Supersport win ever. Pretty much ran away with that race. Um, so you had Hayes, Josh Heron, phenomenal run with him, which is why we gave him a call out at the beginning of the show. He's also 46 this year. So Josh Heron in second, then Steve Rapp in third. So very good weekend uh, for Steve Rapp. Aaron Gobert, again, fourth place there. Raj in fifth. Again, all things considered, not so bad, uh, considering that his you know his head was was probably still not all there from, from hitting it on Friday, uh, just not feeling as good as he could. Uh, Tommy in sixth, Benatard in seventh, Corey West in eighth, Blake Young ninth, and Danny Eslick in in tenth spot there. The uh, the other thing I wanted to hit on real quick because I know we're running way long here was the, was the other controversy it was after that crash, the uh, controversy that happened with uh, with Hacking's bike. Now they did not complete one lap, and the leader had not crossed the start finish line when they flew the through the red flag or. If, or if they did, it was you know pretty much simultaneously. Either way, they declared it a full restart. Okay, full restart. So logic would say if it's a full restart, then the race never started, right? That's why it would be a full restart. Well, according to apparently AMA rules, at least in Supersport, I believe they're different in Superbike, the bike that you take the grid with is the bike that you must race with. So hacking took the grid on the bike that crashed. And even though it was declared a full restart, the fact that they couldn't get that bike back out. Now there was some uh, somewhat of a dumb move made that you never, never roll a bike behind the wall until the race is going on. That's rule number one. Now I don't know if they, uh, 
the the rear the rear tire was certainly frelled. <laughs> no other way to say it. Um, now I don't know if the swing arm was bent up or whatever, and how quickly they could have changed out the swing arm between bikes. Uh, you know how much time there was in between. I don't know. It was compressed for TV a little bit. Um, but basically he, he couldn't race because they, because A, he had to race the bike that he took the grid with and B, uh, then they ended up rolling the bike behind the wall. So that was that. Once you roll a bike behind the wall, it doesn't matter what class that bike is done. You can't, nothing can be done. But if a race never starts, how can you, I don't, I just have a personal problem and I know there's other people who, I mean, if that's the way the rules are written, that's the way the rules are written, but I'd call that dumb, just flat out dumb. If a race never starts, then it doesn't matter what bike it is, right? Because the race never ran. Now, if, if if one lap had officially taken place and they counted lap one being done, then I could see that you must stay on the same bike. But if you are starting from lap zero, then, yeah, okay. That's, I will say the AMA has made strides this year in the past four to six months. Seems Things seem to be better. I will say that that is one rule that needs to be addressed very soon, before next year. I'd say after the Fontucky race. We'll just leave it at that. Um, as I said, Fontucky is this weekend. Everyone's there. Practices, well, today we're recording this on Thursday, so I'm sure practice going on. Qualifying begins tomorrow. Predictions. Uh, Superbike. It's going to be another Maladin Spees thing, and I think you can substitute... Eric Bostrom for Miguel. That's pretty much, and then, you know, everyone else will fill out behind that. And I think that's pretty much that. Formula Extreme, I think I'm going to pick Rap over Hayes for that. Just, I got a feeling. Superstock, oh, let's say I'll say Spees over Spees, Bostrom, Yates. And Super Sport. Hacking's going to be pissed, so we'll say that he's going to win. I'm not sure second and third. Who do you got second and third? Hmm. I'll say Josh second and Barney in third. Okay, there we go. So that's predictions for for Fontucky. It's still a goofy track, you know, manufacturing a road course in the 21 turns and two... 2.3 miles, whatever. Um, and before we go horribly long here, I'm going to quickly touch on World Superbike. Happened to be in action this week at Assen, one of the, you know, the cradles of, of racing, even though they've screwed up that track too. Um, I wrote a note here, Blind Melon, no rain, because obviously last year was rain, uh, which was great for, for Chris Walker last year. He won a World Superbike race in the Kawasaki last year. No, no issue. No, no news whether it's going to rain or not. Hopefully, we'll have some dry racing. Uh, Troy Bayless said in his press release that he is back to full fitness, as much as can be. The hand isn't bothering him, and his uh, you know nether regions are are much better. Thank you very much, uh, Steve Martin. Uh, officially, no longer with DFX. They've decided that no, they don't have any more money to run a second bike. Uh, so he is filling in for Kevin Curtin on the Yamaha World Supersport team this year. Um, Pro, very uh, huge props to Tenkata uh, as uh, Charpentier is back, but they are putting a third bike together so that Andrew Pitt can stay with the team and, and run as a third Tenkata bike in uh, Supersport. So very cool with that. That should be 
should be interesting as how it goes. I mean, Aston is Aston. It's going to be uh, probably some phenomenal racing. So we'll be that. And then uh, you go from one of the, one great track to another as Monza's right after that. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up as we've gone. Uh, I knew this was going to be a long show. I even warned you ahead of time at the beginning and uh, went a little bit longer than uh, than even I had expected. But we had a lot to talk about about uh, MotoGP. So with that, I will say uh, music this week. The music choice for this week is because uh, we haven't – well, we've done music for Superbike. We've done music for uh, MotoGP just in the sense of, you know, where are they racing? Let's music from there. So since the AMA is out in Orange County this week, I thought we'd go back to uh, to an Orange County band from the – this is from the late 90s. Yep, late 90s uh, when it seemed like there were – just a plethora of bands from Orange County coming out. Music companies couldn't sign Orange County bands uh, fast enough. So, uh, ah, cool tune from uh, from a pretty good band, and uh, we'll let we'll let it roll. That let you know that uh, Raul uh, Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Uh, thanks for listening this week. Please uh, spread the word about the show. Uh, as I say, burn a CD and hand it off to people so they can listen to it in their cars. Uh, send them the links. However we need to do to promote the show, please do. Um, Going to have uh, another good show for you next week. Obviously, we've got World Superbikes at Aston. We've got uh, the AMA at Fontucky and the MotoGP getting ready to go to, to Shanghai. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping um, to have a interview for you next week. I'm in the works uh, I've talked to the guy about it that we both want to get together to do something for the show and uh, we'll see if they, see if we can get it done. So until uh talk to you next week, as always, have fun, be good, and most importantly, keep it on two wheels. Talk to you soon.